All right, so um, this evening we, we get to continue going through the book of Judges. We just have a few chapters left. And as you saw from last week, and you know, th- this I think up to this point as we're going through the Old Testament has been one of the most difficult portions of Scripture that I've had to teach from in the, in the sense to where um, it's just such a dark time, isn't it? Is, do you get that from... As, from you know, going through it and seeing uh, Samson and uh, and what's going on there, and then we get to Micah and the young Levite, um, the Danites, and the issues between them and um, and uh, the, the people of Laish, and it, it's just man, it's just it's it, it's heartbreaking when you see God's people behave in this manner, and so it should be for us today that we would see what's happening around us and be heartbroken for really. I'm not talking about the world because the world, we expect the world to act in a certain way because it's the world, right? But when the church behaves in such a way that, um, you know, it, it, it's not behavior that's, it, well, it's behavior unbecoming of a Christian is what it is. It, it's unbecoming of what we find in Scripture. And if it uh, grieves us, I can't imagine what it does to the Lord. Right, so that's why we come. That's why we sit at His feet, and that's why we we uh, we take in. We ask the Lord to give us understanding, that we may be righted before the Lord, um, that uh, we may be uh, corrected in areas where we need correcting, and uh, strengthening and encouraging in those areas that we need strengthening and encouraging in. And so we come. We sit at the Lord's feet. We we desire to hear from Him. And continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, this evening, we're going through just one chapter. We're going to go through Judges chapter 19. Next week, we'll uh, finish off the book of Judges uh, with uh, chapters 20 and 21. And then we'll be going into the book of Ruth. So, um, just a few things before we get into our study this evening. And that is that we have uh, just a few announcements. Uh, Just praise God, I want to let you know that, number one, we did get um, some volunteers, some... some, um, um, some servants for the children's ministry. And so, yeah, praise God for that. We, we still need more, though. We always need more. <laughs> I know. We're always asking for more. Right? Um, but we do. We need a, a few more for the nursery and preschool. So uh, if you have any questions about that, uh, make sure you see Jesus and Liz afterward. I believe Liz is uh, in watching the kids right now, right? Okay, so that's the... The, uh, the sister that you need to go ask questions to if you do have questions about that or would, just would like to volunteer. You can, you can see her afterwards. Um, we also have uh, Fun in the Sun, which is a children's ministry fun day and outreach Saturday, August 17th. So I want to continue to announce that. Um, that is a Saturday and it's going from 4 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. So hopefully it's, uh, it's after the, the heat kind of dies down a little bit. And it's at the Hunter Hobby Park right up the street here on the corner of Iowa and Marlboro. And uh, so it'll be a great time of um, not only for our kids, for our children's ministry, uh, but also what we're using this as, as an, is an outreach to the community. And so I would encourage you, we have these flyers, we have these, um, uh, these cards that you can pick up, uh, pass out to your neighbors, uh, pass out to your coworkers, friends, family, and have them come out on that day. Oftentimes, um, you know, especially family, they won't come out. Um, those who have been fighting you as far as going to church is concerned, they won't come to church, but they'll go to a park to have fun with the kids. 
And uh, so, you know, that's one way of, of exposing them um, to the church and, uh, and just showing them that the church is, it, it's wonderful. It's not perfect, but, man, it's just ordinary people who have come to find out that they're in desperate need of a Savior. And, and that's, that's what we are. And we're growing together in the Lord, and uh, we're learning how to, how to walk with Him. So that's what we're doing. So anyway, that's, that's what's going on on August 17th. It is a Saturday from 4 to 6.30 p.m. And uh, for that, we also need um, some people to help out with different things. We're going to have games. We're going to have booths. Um, we're gonna be, it's going to be simple, but we're going to have a little bit uh, of fun activity for the kids. Um, some uh, water games. So that'll be fun. And, of course, we're going to share the word with them. And on top of that, we'll have a barbecue. So all of that is what we're doing on that day. So, again, we're in the book of Judges. We're uh, covering chapter 19 this evening. So let's start out with a word, word of prayer, and then we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we, we thank you for this time. Lord, we are truly grateful that we can come and, and study your word and, uh, and I pray, Father, that you would speak to us this evening. Lord, that as we study this chapter, even though, uh, again, as I had mentioned earlier, um, Lord, it's a dark time for Israel. Lord, through this time, um, even though the people are they're broken as far as their faith is concerned, uh, Lord, you remain faithful. And that's what we need to see through this whole time, how faithful you are. If you're faithful, then you will always be faithful, as your word tells us. Um, and uh, you cannot, cannot go back on your word. You tell us in your word the love that you have for us is perfect. It's everlasting. It's eternal. And, uh, and Lord, it's your kindness that draws us unto you. And so, Lord, continue to, to reveal that to us through your word. And help us to be encouraged and, uh, and really be stirred up in our hearts to... Uh, you know, those things that are contrary to your character, I pray that we would um, forsake those things, we would repent of those things, and, uh, and instead um, walk with kindness and love and compassion and mercy and grace, um, just as who you are should be reflected in our lives to others, to bless and honor you. And so we commit this time of study into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Let's start out by uh, reading in Judges chapter 19, verse 1, which says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. I want to just start out with just that, those first few words. Now, we know with this, it's a factual statement providing a historical truth to the then state of the Israelites. It's a historical fact. That they had no king. But I believe it's also a reflection of a much deeper historical truth of the spiritual state of the Israelites. Now, not just that they had no king physically uh, governing them over them, but they also spiritually had no king, no one to lead them, no one that they were governed by. These were God's people who time and time again rejected God and followed what they deemed to be right in their own eyes. Raising up idols and worshiping them in the place of God. Chasing after the gods of the world and doing the very things that were in direct opposition to the Lord. That had delivered them, remember this, that had delivered them from Egypt, from the hand of Pharaoh 
and given them what He promised, the land of Canaan. Given them what they didn't deserve, and yet God faithfully followed through with and gave them. These are the same people who were given victory over their enemies, and God sustained them in the wilderness for 40 years. These are the same people who, who were provided with God's commandments through Moses as he went and met with God on Mount Sinai, whom God, the very same people whom God provided manna from heaven throughout their whole time in the, their, in the wilderness for 40 years. These are the people that were provided water from a rock. And these are the same people whose clothes were preserved by God throughout their time in the wilderness. These are the same people that had experienced all of these things. And even with the reminders of how faithful God had been to them, over the years, they still rejected him. And so they spiritually and in everyday governance of their lives rejected their king, the Lord their God, So truly, verse 1 is a reflection of their spiritual state before a holy and righteous God, the very God who had chosen them in those days when there was no king in Israel. That's a time when their own hearts ruled them and led them. These were proven to be dark and evil days. With this said, how much more do we need to watch ourselves our thoughts, our words, our actions. I, I know toward each other, but re- really it, it starts out with, with our response to the Lord. We need to watch, we need to be aware of how it is that we're responding to Him. Because if we're not humble and broken before Him, then rest assured that it will reflect in how we are with each other. Do we really take heed to what we've come to read and know in God's Word as warnings that serve to help us steer away from what we ought not to participate in. Because this evening's study in Judges 19 is another example of a faithless people, but a faithful God. Even in the darkest of days, he's there, and he desires that his people turn from their wicked ways and return to him. We see that throughout the Old Testament, how it is that the Lord brings them to this place of judgment, so that not so that they would just be punished for what they're doing, But that all had a reason, and that reason was to bring them back to the Lord. You know, so these are the times as we read through chapters like this that we should just consider. Consider the times in which we live in. That we should distance ourselves even more so from the world around us. And stay set aside, set apart for the things of the Lord, that we would bring Him glory. I know there are so many things that uh, distract us, that kind of lure us into... Uh, engaging in the world along with them. And yet the Lord calls us to be separate unto Him. And so we need to take heed as we see uh, chapters like this, Scripture like this, that we take heed and and we, we remain vigilant and aware of the things around us and not allow them to drag us away, that, that, uh, that they would not hold us captive um, and, uh, and devastate if not destroy us completely as far as our faith is concerned in our effective witness. A faithful God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Thank God. Thank God. 
So Judges 19.1, In those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem and Judah. We'll stop there for a moment because this is the introduction of another Levite. Remember a couple chapters ago we were talking about a young Levite that met, met up with Micah in the hill country of Ephraim, and now we have another one here. As I said before, the reality for the Israelites was that they had rejected their God and had gone after other gods. We know that to be true as we've read through. We've studied the book of Judges. That this is exactly what they were doing. And they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And Samson did this. We're reminded of how it was that not only he was doing it, but everyone else was doing it. Now, this is emphasized in the book of Judges by repeating the phrase, in those days when there was no king in Israel. You know, this was emphasized uh, by it being repeated. You know, when something is repeated, especially through, throughout a letter, throughout a chapter, uh, throughout a book, maybe sometimes even a chapter over and over, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's repeated. It's to emphasize. This is exactly, you need to understand, this is what's happening at this time. This is repeated four times in those days when there was no king in Israel. It is reflected by the things that they did and they said and what they failed to do and what they failed to say. And even though it's not explicitly stated here, we have a a Levite, which so happens to be in the hill country of Ephraim, who had taken to himself a concubine from Bethlehem. And how many of you here were here uh, for our study when we went through the last couple chapters? Most of you? So then you're familiar with the young Levite that I'm, I'm kind of, it's not explicitly stated here, but this is, this, it's, it, it's interesting. It's interesting that we have another Levite here who is from Bethlehem, who just so happens to be in the hill country of Ephraim. The Levite is described as sojourning in this remote part of the hill country of Ephraim. So he was not from the area and was traveling as a foreigner. In other words, he didn't belong in that place. He was, he was out of place. He, he actually belonged in Bethlehem. This was where he had gone back to receive unto himself this concubine. Back in chapter 17, we have Micah, who was of the hill country of Ephraim who had hired a young Levite who was sojourning there from Bethlehem to be his personal priest to his new, as we understood, uh, to his new false religion that he had made up. You remember that? This young man of Bethlehem who was a Levite ended up going with the Danites to be their priest at the time when they attacked and conquered the people of Laish. So they coerced him into going with them. Why be a priest of one when you can be a priest of the whole tribe, you know, that would be much better. And he was convinced of that very easily as they offered him more. And so he went, he went off with them. But now we have this Levitical priest. We don't know whether it's the same one or it's not. We don't know. But if it's not the same one, then we can say that there was a problem in those days of priests wandering from what and where the Lord had called them to serve. They were searching for opportunity outside of where the Lord had assigned them to. Perhaps they were discontent with how the Lord had them serving. They were wandering 
If this is not the same Levite, then there's a problem with the Levites. You see, the Lord had assigned to them certain places throughout Israel so that they would be strategically located so that the Israelites could come to them and come and worship in the place that God had established. Not only that, but this Levite had, a, had taken a concubine. Now, at that time, she would be regarded as being legal. She was a legal mistress, is what she was. It's worth noting that the Bible never identifies anyone blessed by such a union. It's interesting, right? Because the Bible, you know, it, it tells us exactly how things were. Uh, the, the downfalls, the way people tripped up, the way they sinned, what they did. But with the concubine, it's interesting to come to realize that this union is never blessed by God. Concubines. Solomon had 700 wives. Was that okay with the Lord? No. And on top of that, he had three hundred concubines. Crazy, right? Seven hundred and then three hundred. So a thousand. A thousand. But that union is never blessed by the Lord. And even though we see this relationship practiced by some, it does not mean that it was right. Always think about that. Always think about that. Just because it's a practice, let's say within the church, doesn't mean that it's right in the eyes of the Lord. That's where we need to be discerning. We need to always go back to Scripture. And we need to test all things before the Lord. So here we have this Levite. A Levite was set apart to minister to the Lord. And here he was not only wandering, another wanderer, right? Discontent. You could say he's out in the hill country of Ephraim, but he goes back to Bethlehem or takes one from Bethlehem and receives this concubine unto himself and is out there in the hill country of Ephraim. We need to understand as far as this concubine is concerned, even in the New Testament, it says 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. One wife. This literally means that he is to be a man of one woman. Men, those of you who are married, those of us who are married, we are to be a one one woman man. In other words, our eyes, our our, um, emotions, our affection should be reserved for one and only one. And just our wives and no one else. The Bible is very clear about that. All his husband affection is to be given to one woman, his wife, and no other. And and so we understand that what this Levite was doing was not in alignment with what the Lord had desired for him. So we see all kinds of things that are wrong here with this uh, situation. And uh, and so we see again a a wandering discontent Levite who is in a sinful relationship. Maybe legal, but not right in the eyes of God. And that's where we need to take note. We need to understand and discern the days in which we live in. Just because the state or the country says something is right doesn't mean that it's right in the eyes of the Lord. Just keep that in mind. All right. Let's continue. Verse 2. 
And his concubine was unfaithful to him, and she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah, and was there some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him as uh, with, with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. So we at this point see how the Levite's concubine was unfaithful to him. So that's how we started out. We see that, first of all, he had brought her up out of Bethlehem, and then she's unfaithful to him, and she went back to her father's house back in Bethlehem, and it took him four months to go back to Bethlehem and to chase her down, to bring her back. But that's what, what his purpose was uh, for going back to Bethlehem. The word here used here for unfaithful, it, it literally means it's, it's not that she was just angry and she went away. Not that, you know, he, he had done anything and then, and then she, she went away because of something that he did. But it's something that she did. She was unfaithful, meaning that she had committed adultery. She played the harlot. And even though she did this, this Levite went after her. After four months, he, he went back to Bethlehem. And he took his servant, he took a couple of donkeys with all the supplies that he needed for the journey, and he went back to Bethlehem to speak kind words to her, to bring her back with him. And so the girl's father was glad to see the Levite as he was filled with joy when he went out to meet him. This is the description of the whole meeting. We need to understand that the Levite had every right to divorce this woman, but he didn't. He pursued her. And he purposed to go after her, not to harm her, but to speak kindly to her and to bring her back. Now, this right here at this very moment, this little little glimpse in this chapter is a beautiful picture. Because even though she committed adultery, even though she played the harlot, he chased after her to speak kind words to her, to bring her back. Even when she was unfaithful to him. Oh, we see how the Lord, how it is that he pursues us, even when we are unfaithful to him. And, and we, you know, we need to understand that we are unfaithful to him so much. So much. And yet he continues to come after us and he comes after us and he keeps coming. Why? Because he has this perfect love and he, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Even though we ignore him, even though we reject him, even though we were, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He pursues us with a perfect and everlasting love. Oh, what an amazing, what, a, what an amazing and awesome God we have. Beautiful. The Lord speaks kind words to us that we may respond and come back to him. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That's why I need to remind you as I'm reminded of God's word, how it is that it's it's not laying down... um, 
fear and just uh, devastation and destruction and this. It, that's, that's not what leads people to Christ. It makes you think. It makes you think. As you see everything around us falling apart, it makes you think. But what really draws you is the love that God demonstrated on the cross. That's what draws all men. When he's lifted up, he's going to draw all men to himself, is what the Bible tells us. That's what draws us, right there. It's his love. It's his kindness, his forbearance, his mercy, his grace. That draws us unto himself, unto the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, I, I know we, we desire for the Lord to come back. For the church to be raptured up, we, we desire that. Oh, Lord, come. Come quickly, right? But how many of those around you are still lost. How many of those around you are still, they still remain condemned in their sins? Now, do you have a sense of urgency in telling them, in leading them to Christ? Because God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He doesn't want anyone to perish. You know, from, from this moment to the day He does come back, we have the honor we have the responsibility as well uh, to do the work of an evangelist, to tell those around us exactly how much God loves them and loved them, demonstrated it to them through Jesus Christ. Share that love with others. And so we see this heart of God through this. What a heart of forgiveness and grace. Not only not giving her what she deserved, but then offering her a restored relationship with blessing. And that's what we have pictured before us in this exchange, in this pursuit of the Levite with his concubine. At least this is what it was a picture of amid such depravity, as we'll see. Verse 4, as we continue, And his father-in-law... The girl's father and made him stay, and he remained with him three days, so that they ate and drank and spent the night there. And on the fourth day they arose early in the morning, and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together, and the girl's father said to the man, Be pleased to spend the night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man rose up to go, his father-in-law pressed him till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day, he arose early in the morning to depart. And the girl's father said, Strengthen your heart and wait until the day declines. So they ate both of them. So they ate both of them. They didn't eat both of them, but they both of them ate. And when the man and his concubine and his servant rose up to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now the day has waned toward evening. Please spend the night. Behold. The day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry, and tomorrow you shall arise early in the morning for your journey and go home. So the bottom line is, as we continue in this scene where uh, this Levite comes and he finally arrives in Bethlehem and, 
And uh, his concubine receives him and then brings him to her father. And he was uh, filled with joy in receiving him. And, and so he stayed with him. He planned on staying with him um, for three days. And on the fourth day, he was planning on leaving. But as he stayed there, of course, he, he was asked by his father-in-law, please stay and, and eat. And he ate. And then it was the day, you know, of course, it got late in the day. And he said, well, why don't you just stay the night? One more night. One more night. Just stay here. And so truly, he was received very well by his father-in-law. He just wanted him to just, just stay. We don't have anything else here other than he was received well. He, his, father, his father-in-law was happy to see him, to see that he came and, and pursued his daughter. And so we have that. So it, it, this went on you know, from the 4th. He was going to stay there three days, leave on the 4th. He didn't. Uh, he stayed there another night. Here we are on the 5th day. Uh, his departure had been delayed, and his father-in-law was kind of holding him back a little bit more. Just stay and eat. Okay, we'll stay and eat. But it wasn't like he, you know, threw a pizza pocket in the microwave. You know, I'm sure the meal took a little time to prepare. And, you know, when you want someone to stay a little bit longer, you kind of just, uh, you take your time in doing some things. Oh, no, just stay. You want a cup of coffee? Yeah, no, I'll bring you a cup of coffee. And then you start chatting. Oh, you want me to bring you another cup of coffee? You know, I'll bring you another cup of coffee. Oh, we have some, we have some cookies over here. Let me give, get you some cookies, you know. And, and, so, and so there was a delay. There was a delay there. The father-in-law just wanted them to stay another day. But as we will see here, the Levite refused. In verse 10, it says, But the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is, Jerusalem. He had with him a couple of saddled donkeys, and his concubine was with him. When they were near Jabus, the day was nearly over, and the servant said to his master, Come now, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. And he said to his young man, Come and let us draw near to one of the places and spend the night at Gibeah or at Ramah. So they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. So at the time, as we see here, um, they were referring to Jerusalem as, as Jebus. And so it was not uh, where the tabernacle was. It was actually, at this time, it was in Shiloh. Bethlehem was south of Jerusalem. And so if you, um, geographically, I mean, how everything's laid out, you have Bethlehem south of Jerusalem, you have Jerusalem. And then if you continue to go north, just pretty much in a straight line, you go to Bethel. And then above Bethel, you have Shiloh. So in between Shiloh and Bethel, to the west you have the hill country of Ephraim. So that's kind of how everything was situated. And so, of course, they made their way from, from Bethlehem. They left late in the day, and they were making their way up, and they thought, well, stop in Gibeah or Ramah, but definitely not in, in Jebus. That's not the place. Why? Well, it was, uh, it was a city that was filled with pagans, the Jebusites, and so it wasn't uh, a city that, again, 
uh, contained the tabernacle. Um, I know I shared this with you before, but when we went to Israel er- earlier this year, uh, we actually went to Shiloh. It was, it was a wonderful time, although it was stormy, it was wonderful, and we saw the outline of, of the tabernacle, uh, and uh, we saw exactly, you know, the location and the hilltop where it was. So this is the place that they were making their way to. Now, they ended up making it to Gibeah, which belongs to the tribe of of Benjamin. These were Israelites, right? And apparently as they, re, as, as they um, uh, came to Gibeah, they came into the town, uh, nobody was receiving them. Nobody was hospitable to them. They didn't open up their doors and welcome them in. You can kind of, um, you know how you kind of picture in your mind Going into a, well, I actually remember going into a small town of about 75 people, a town of uh, Colorado. Um, Do you know where Canyon City is? Canyon City, Pueblo, Colorado Springs, Denver. (laughs) So from Colorado Springs, you go down to Pueblo, from Pueblo, you go west towards the Rockies, and there's this little town there. And, and I remember going through this little town, and literally, literally, you could see the uh, curtains opening up and closing. Like, that was weird. So it, you continue to go, and, and another one. <laughs> they definitely knew uh, this guy that shouldn't be there is there. And, and um, so you can imagine something like that was going on in Gibeah. As... As they were entering in, this Levite, his concubine, his servant, and these two donkeys, obviously he was coming through and he needed a place to stay. And everyone, you could just imagine they were closing their doors, turning their lights off. Hey, Johnny, turn off your light. You know, we don't want this guy to know that anyone's here. Right? And, and they, were, they were not hospitable. They, they didn't open up the, their doors to him. It's a sad report to hear that God's people aren't welcoming or hospitable to God's people. This was, this was a city that belonged to the Benjamites, Israelites, right? But they didn't. They closed everything up to them. And so they sat in the town square to spend the night there. They thought, well, we're going to go ahead and go into the town square. So here comes an old man. Verse 16. And behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning in Gibeah. Uh, The men of the place were Benjamites, that is, in Gibeah. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? And he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem and Judah to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, from which I come. I went to Bethlehem and Judah, and I am going to the house of the Lord. But no one has taken me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys, with bread and wine for me and your female servant, and the young man with your servants. There is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be to you. I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. So here comes this old man from a hard day's work. 
It's late in the day. Remember, when they arrived at, at Gibeah, the sun went down at that point. And so at the old man, as he was coming in, um, he, he saw uh, this man and this woman and their servant and these two donkeys. And obviously, what, who, who are you? Where are you from? Where are you going? He's asking these questions. It's the old man that took notice of the Levite. And he asked these questions. The Levite said, and he told them where they were going. They were going to the house of the Lord. They were going to the hill country of Ephraim, but, but they were going to the house of the Lord, which again at that time was in Shiloh. And from Shiloh, they would travel west, southwest, and they would find themselves back in the hill country of Ephraim. The old man, unlike the Benjamites, those of Gibeah, was hospitable and took them in. He told them that they would t- he would take care of all of their needs. Um, you know, don't worry about anything. Even though you guys have what you need, I'll provide everything that you need. Everything. I'll take you in. And he did. You could say that in today's terms, he took them in. Um, he, he gassed up the vehicle, had them washed. Uh, had it washed, and, and he also uh, gave them the showers, access to the showers, and he, and he prepared uh, a dinner for them. In, in today's terms, that's how we would understand this. But he took care of their animals. These two donkeys, they were fed, they were given some water, they were well taken, taken care of. They themselves, you know what, here's some towels, here's everything that you need. Washed their feet. Gave them something to eat and drink. Oh, what hospitality, right? It's wonderful when someone receives you like that. It's kind of like, kind of just re- it refreshes your your refreshes your your soul, your very spirit. You know, when you have people who, especially some people have the gift of hospitality. They can just make you feel welcome, and and know that that is a gift. That is a gift from the Lord. And, and others, we just don't know how to be hospitable. You know, it's like, oh, offer them some water. Yes, that's right. Would you like some water? You know, it's like, I know you've been sitting here for two hours, but would you like some water? You know what I mean? It's, but others, man, it's just, man, they're, they're gifted in that way. But this man was hospitable. And remember that he had just come in from the field. He was, he was tired. I'm sure he was tired. It was hard work. And he came in and, and, uh, just took care of them. So verse 22, though, things kind of start turning. Verse 22, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. It's just a sad turn, right? 
We went from what we just went over, and, and, and then we come to this, this time when, when this happens. It's just how quickly things turn. Now, how it is that we can be right in certain areas and then be so wicked in others. This is where we see the evil perversion of the people of the time. I want to remind you that these were, these were Israelites. These weren't the pagans. These weren't Jebusites. These, these weren't the, uh, the people of, of Moab. These, these weren't people. These were not the Canaanites. These were Israelites. They were supposed to be God's chosen people. They were supposed to be hospitable and caring for one another, especially toward fellow Israelites. Remember that Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, according to John chapter 13, verse 35. And this love that Jesus talks about is a sacrificial love. It's a love that is willing to lay down its life for others. That's the type of love that the Lord is describing we have for one another. You know, sometimes, you know, we say, yeah, I I would die for you, brother. I would die for you. And yet we feel we fail to to live for one another. We, We fail to do the very things that demonstrate demonstrates a true love for one another. This is just a it's sickening is what it is. These men who, who came to pound on this old man's door were described as worthless fellows. Well, let me give you a bit more description about what that actually means. You know, for us, we say well, worthless fellows. You know, it sounds pretty harmless, right? Worthless. No, they're thugs, immoral, without restraint, and they're lawless. That's what that describes. Worthless fellow. This reminds me of the men of Sodom who were groping at the door to get at the angels who were with Lot. It was evil, depravity, unrestraint, lawlessness. And that's found in Exodus chapter 19. I mean, think about this. The old man said, hey, listen, don't don't do this evil deed. Don't, Don't do this. At least not to the man. Let me offer up at least my virgin daughter and the concubine. You know, but don't do it to the Levite. Don't do it to him. But they insisted on knowing the Levite until the Levite actually took his concubine and, and, and put her outside for them. Here you go. Violate her as you please. And they indeed abused her all night until the morning when the dawn was beginning to break. There's a you see the light starting to come up over the horizon. It, it's just a sad and evil state that the people were in. Not only were the men of the city evil, but both the old man and the Levite thought nothing of giving up the virgin daughter and the concubine that the Levite had gone after just a few days earlier. Thought nothing of it. Nothing of it. Lay down our lives? No, no. No, no. I mean, I'm not us. Here, you can do whatever you want. 
with our women. Oh. This uh, Levite's concubine was, and, and you know what, this is actually put very mildly, that she was abused all night until the morning. I mean, you can just imagine what's happening, but if you go back to the original, she was violently raped all night long. That's what, that's what this word is right here. She was violently raped and abused all night long. And then she crawled back to the old man's house and collapsed at his doorstep. Uh, the words that kind of come to mind are two, heartless and spineless. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Well, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of dif- difficulty. This is what verses 3 and 4 describe. Uh, people who are heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, <clears throat> this is nothing new. N- nothing new. And you think things are bad now. This is why we need to be well grounded in God's truth. This is why we need to stand on on what is righteous and what is holy. That's why we need to not be deceived, not be distracted by those things of the world. We need to just keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. We need to come together more, more. I I know sometimes we're like, oh, we're, we're with the church all the time. It's like, listen, the world is just, it, it is... I'm not, I'm not preaching doom and gloom in, in that, um, you know, in a way that isn't truthful. I'm just telling you how it is. Look around you. Look around you. Uh, do you know what our children are being taught in the schools? I am so glad that we have a 10th grader because in a few short years, now the ones that I'm going to have to be, uh, that, I, that I am concerned about are my grandkids, but I'm concerned about our kids. Do you know what they're teaching in the public school system? You, you better prepare them very well to understand exactly what's being taught. All through, from K through 12. And then, oh, and then God help us. If you send your kids to the university and colleges, what they're teaching them there. You've you, you got to be well prepared. Now, I'm not saying I'm against education. I am not. Okay, but I want us to be prepared as God's people to be truly his light in a world of darkness. I want us to be strong in the Lord that we may know how to engage the world around us effectively for the sake of the Lord, that we may spread the gospel, that we may stand and not waver not waver. Too, too many kids, and that's why in this church at Refuge, I am just even more convinced now than ever before that we need to mature our children in the Lord. By the time that they graduate from high school, they should be well engaged and assimilated to the church, serving in the Lord, and being able to engage with adults and knowing the things of the Lord in that way. 
Why? Because when, when they do, if they do go off to college, then they're on solid ground. They're on solid ground. Because these are the days in which we live in. In fact, Matthew chapter 27, Jesus warns that in the last days before he's coming, before his coming, it'll be as in the days of Noah. We are to recognize the times in which we are living in so that we would not be surprised, number one, but live with a sense of urgency and make the best use of the time we do have for the glory of God. So we look around us and we're just like, you know what? This is exactly what this book tells me is going to happen at this time. What am I supposed to do? That's really what's important. What am I supposed to do? How am I then to live my life? That's what's important. So as, even as we read this, we, we need to come to understand, okay, listen, this was, oh, depravity, this is evil, this is just evil, right? But how is it supposed to be a warning to us? How are we supposed to respond? Now, if you think that's bad, just let's continue and we're, we'll close up. Verse 27, and her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, and let us be going. Remember the word heartless? But there was no answer. And he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her, limb by limb, into twelve pieces. And he sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, Such a thing has never happened or been seen, uh, seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. Twelve pieces, how many tribes are there? Twelve. Sent throughout all Israel. As a visual, to, visual example of, of the depravity. The state in which Israel was in. It was spiritual darkness. It was pure darkness. I mean, what we just learned of it, and that's why I said at the very beginning, these are, these are some of the most difficult chapters that I've gone through. And, and, and so what I want to draw from this is an understanding, why is it that something like this would be beneficial to us? I love how it is in a... In a I've said it before, I say it often, I'll say it again, how it is that the, the Lord does not withhold the bad stuff from us. He, he explains it to us. He, he lays it all out. And he's, this is, these were the hearts of my people. This, is, this was their heart right here. And yet he still loved them. He loves them and he loved them with an everlasting love. He never forsook them. They forsook him. They turned their backs on him. He didn't forsake them. He didn't leave them. He didn't abandon them. It's interesting how they considered the message and the way it was delivered to them. They were now considering righteousness. Oh my goodness. What? 
Well, let me just say this. The tribes responded well in word. They responded well in word, but their hearts were still far from God. And we'll see evidence of that as we continue to to go on. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with, with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And, and as he goes on in, in that chapter, the, the following verses, because of that, because it's just with their lips and, and not with their hearts, because their hearts are far from me, there are consequences that are coming to them. Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. The Lord Jesus actually makes reference to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Saying, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And this was Jesus calling the religious leaders of the time hypocrites. He was saying, you're hypocrites. Oh, with your lips, but your heart, your, your heart is far from me. And you're leading these people astray. There was no real genuine remorse or repentance from the people. It was an evil time because in those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's why. And are, are we not living in those days today? Oh man, you look around you and more and more people are just doing what's right in their own eyes, aren't they? Don't we see that around us? It, it's all about me. It's all about how I would be satisfied. But do we find contentment in the world? The answer is no, we, we don't. Satisfaction. We're always looking for a little bit more, a little bit more. In fact, going back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to just read through this. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jamber supposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. We are not to be surprised, but to be well aware of the last days and be ready. To respond well and remain steadfast in the Lord. Not to be taken captive by empty deception and every wind of doctrine, but knowing that we are to be well-guarded, to be vigilant, to be aware of our surroundings, and be well-guarded by the very Word of God, which the Word of God, the Scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3.15. And so... As we read something like this, we need to understand God's faithfulness, His mercy, His love, His, His perfect love. And how it is that man could be so depraved and sink to such dark and evil depths 
in their own hearts that they could do things like this. And so let us rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ. Let us remain steadfast in Him. And because of this, remain fixed on Him, clinging to Him. And not allow ourselves to be distracted and, and, and go out and, and be even pulled away from the fellowship of the brethren. But as we have communion with the Lord and have fellowship with the Lord, that we may desire even more so to come together as a church and seek Him and seek to be encouraged by one another. Oh, how we need that. We need to be stirred up to love and good works by one another. So let us be those people that bless and honor the Lord consistently. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once more for your word. And Lord, forgive us of our wickedness, of the evil that we can display in our own lives. Help us, Lord, to, Lord, to, uh, to be holy as you are, to walk in your righteousness. Lord, may we um, not only read your word, but may we have communion with you, fellowship with you. May your word, Lord, serve as a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May we truly uh, strive and labor to have your word hidden in our heart that we may not sin against you. That we may know the word of God. That the Holy Spirit will give us a remembrance and an understanding of it in times of need. Let us um, always be prepared to run away from that which is sin and run to you and glorify you. Help us, Lord, we ask. Fill us with your spirit. Lead and guide us. Help us to keep your eyes fixed on you for you are our hope. You are everything. May we be satisfied in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray.